Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Yale Global Online is the flagship publication of the Yale Center for the Study of Globalization and explores the implications of the world's growing interconnectedness through people, products, and ideas. Online Technology Challenges Sensors, Part 1, by Johan Dagerkvist, read by Patricia Alejandro. Censorship by the Chinese government, its technological filtering and blocking of internet content, often makes headlines across the world. This year, a series of remarkable events have led to increasing debate about media control, both abroad and in the Chinese Twitter sphere, virtually located outside China. Criticism began with a brief battle between Google and Chinese authorities, prompted by Google's statement on 12 January the Chinese hackers had accessed valuable software and broken into its Gmail system. Party State played the nationalist card, branding Google as a tool of the U.S. government, and in part this kept debate on China's censorship policy from materializing. Domestic debate was taken to a new level on October 11, when 23 party veterans, journalists, and academics in an open letter criticized media control after the Central Propaganda Department had censored offline and online, a prominent voice, no less than the, that of Prime Minister Wen Jiaobao. The news blackout followed Wen's call for further political reform and the statement that the people's wishes for and needs for democracy and freedom are irresistible. In an interview with CNN's Farid Zakaria in September 23, attention on China's censorship will not go away. In his 2011 report to the UN Human Rights Council, Frank LaRue, UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Expression, will focus on the issue. China, labeled an enemy of the internet by Reporters Without Borders, will likely become a target of discussions. The rise of this authoritarian capitalist power, the world's second largest economy, has been accompanied by outpouring of investment, immigration, and proliferation of sub-power initiatives such as the Confucius Institutes, but also the drawing of a new information curtain dubbed the Great Firewall of China. Behind the firewall is the world's largest internet population, 420 million and counting. In addition, as many as 277 million Chinese access the internet on mobile phones, 231 million blog, Twitter or use of other social media platforms regularly blocked by the Chinese authorities but which can be accessed through third-party clients. Their political impact is growing. The internet became commercially viable in China in 1994, when China's leaders chose to open access. The Chinese Communist Party, however, felt increasingly threatened. Between 1994 and 1999, commercial online journalism challenged the state's news, an information monopoly at the Communist Party's ideological agenda. The new brand of journalism was reined in, but media space continued to expand and evolve. Between 1999 and 2004, bulletin board systems and blogs shaped alternative channels of communication. As a consequence, these two were controlled. A general media crackdown has been in place since 2004, continuing throughout the 2008 Beijing Olympics and persevering today. New ways to mobilize opinion, such as blogs, SMS testing, and microblogging, have emerged, 
and in some instances affect policy, leading to continual attempts to restrict their impact. Since 1994, innumerable internet-related incidents provide evidence of the increasing influence of online opinion in China, empowerment of civil society and popular challenges to domestic policy and the Communist Party agenda. To facilitate what I call a locked-in sphere, the one-party state has poured billions of dollars into technology, laws, and human resources devoted to monitoring and demobilizing steerings in civil society, and reinvented mission for the propaganda system to make it more difficult to consume news from sources other than state-owned media organizations. Massive state efforts to control the internet notwithstanding, Chinese people have found new ways to search for alternative views, discuss unorthodox ideas, and occasionally mobilize public support. Peer-to-peer networks, citizen journalism, and information sharing certainly increased liberty for China's citizens. That control and freedom have grown in parallel since the internet became commercially available in the central paradox of China's internet. As for the ongoing contest between the one-party state and civil society, an uneasy, unstable equilibrium remains. How far will the government go to protect social and political stability in the real world? It's widely believed that the internet possesses such a challenge that the Communist Party must inevitably compromise over its monopoly on information. If not, its monopolies on power and violence. The question, however, is whether a regime that has crushed every inkling of political opposition since the 1989 Tiananmen Square crackdown would hesitate to shut down the internet infrastructure if a genuine power struggle between state and society emerged. I think not. The Great Firewall of China is the brainchild of an authoritarian country that has benefited immensely from access to the world market. Today's information curtain bears little resemblance to the Iron Curtain of the Cold War. More subtle, the Great Firewall is shield nonetheless. Its purpose is to herd the majority of China's people into a harmonious, rationally patriotic, and demobilized citizenry. The outcome is a locked-in public sphere that occasionally, due to propaganda, spin and the guidance of opinion, becomes a nationalistic information sphere. Ethnic riots in Lhasa, the capital of the Tibetan Autonomous Region, in March 2008, and Urumqi, the capital of Xinjiang Autonomous Region, in July 2009, are cases in point. During both events, the outside world criticized China, and as a result, a nationalist information sphere formed. Parallel growth in control and freedom, the equilibrium of social contracts, rarely lasts long. Parallel and contradictory growth end. Contracts crumble or are renegotiated because of the impact of social and normative change. It's a fact that Chinese control of the internet is not so much an issue of sophisticated technology as a story of the successful fostering of self-censorship. To upset this equilibrium, some places hope in rebellious and ironic Chinese youth. Others assume that party-state technocrats, given their wisdom and pragmatic world outlook, will realize that control might restrict innovation and economic growth. In the long term, the normative change brought by the former may upset the balance. Unfortunately, rational insights are not to be anticipated from senior Chinese officials. As the crackdowns on inter-ethnic rioting in Tibet and Xinjiang showed, Chinese authorities are prepared to sacrifice international standing and national connectivity to retain stability. 
cannot forget how far the Chinese government is willing to go in terms of the expenditure of both political and economic capital to protect its sovereignty and political stability. Because civil society is still too weak to challenge the censorship regime, the biggest threat to party-state internet control comes from parts of officialdom itself, the likes of censored Wen Jiaobao. The normative change and the impacts of two contrasting types of internet use in the end will force the monopolies on information and political power to succumb to the people's power of civil society, with variegated social forces of every hue and nuance. First, the impact of news sharing and the mobilizing activities, the vanguard of the microblagosphere, and second, the more mundane, everyday use by individuals that constitute Chinese officialdom will continue to grow. The members of these groups are Chinese netizens, and they share a common goal. They enjoy the internet. Taken together, the young officials and the young social media activists are what ultimately, in a pincer movement, will unravel the current social contract on internet use and its totalitarian function to serve state ends. Johan Lagervist, a senior research fellow at the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. He is author of After the Internet, Before Democracy, Competing Norms in Chinese Media and Society. This and other Yale Global articles can be found at yaleglobal.yale.edu.